Welcome to the ICAST podcast. I'm your host, Indy Hoti, and today I'm joined by founder and coordinator of 25 by 25, Tara Kemlin Jones. Tara is also a non executive director at Crosswood Cybersecurity PLC and an expert in capital markets, MA, and digital transformation. Tara has over 25 years experience raising capital in public and private markets and growing companies through acquisition and international expansion as a founder and as an investment banker. Welcome Tara, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Uh, So in your intro, we've touched on some of the roles that you've held during your career and for the benefit of our listeners, would you be able to share a little bit more about your, your background? So, yes, absolutely delighted to. Um, lovely to speak to you and I'm um, very impressed with the um, ICAS article, which spoke quite a lot about my background, mm. which was um, which has been mainly in investment banking, which is traditional world, and also in tech and startup world. And um, I'll talk as much or as little as you like about that. But just to say that um, I fell into these jobs almost by accident, definitely by chance. So I think one of the things that is important to us in 25 by 25 is to um, talk about the pathways, pathways to exco, pathways to CEO. And it's something that when I was starting off my career, I wish I'd had a little bit more advice on where do you want to go? What do you want to achieve? You've definitely been in two very interesting worlds, right? The sort of the corporate M&A world and also the startup world. Um, some may look at the sort of M&A investment banking world and see it as very sort of traditional and, and male dominated. Um, what was your experience with that with that particular world? Well, I'm not going to disabuse that impression because it's <laughs> definitely the case. These are very traditional worlds. They're very dominated by men. They're very dominated by men from a particular type of background. Um, this doesn't mean to say that I didn't have a good time. I did have a very good time. I, um, the first investment bank that I worked at was Schroeder's Investment Banking, which was then bought by Citigroup. And it was a fantastic team. And um, I was given fantastic opportunities. What there wasn't was very much diversity at any level. Hmm. And that brings me on to my next question. So you are you are the founder of 25 by 25. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about the organisation and how you came about to uh, founding it? Well, I think to call me a founder is a very grand term because we are a membership organisation. So we're a membership organisation that was created to support the corporate members. And um, 25 by 25 came about through a very collective initiative. So I don't think I can take very much credit for any of this. So the founding members and the founding corporates are the ones that need to be given the credit for creating 25 by 25. So these are large organizations like Unilever, like BP, NatWest, BA Systems, the RAF, a whole raft of them. But before that, I think we need to credit some of the very senior women in the city, in financial services and outside financial services and in government who have been working on these issues for 20, 30 years. 25 by 25 is about talent management and some of these specialist practitioners 
have really analysed why women are not succeeding, what it would take for women to succeed, and what we've hoped to do with 25 by 25, which was only launched after two years of research, is gather those views into a framework that would work for all companies. So my role in this was just literally as a coordinator. My background, as you know, is banking and tech, not talent management. And 25 by 25 is exactly about succession planning and talent management. There's there's definitely a lot that you've you've achieved there, and obviously all of the founding members of the organisations that have been involved in this very very important cause. What was your personal driver for getting involved with this and being part of this part of this movement? Let's say with this mem- membership organisation. Well, I think one of my personal drives is one of um, a question that you have suggested that you might talk about which is um, women in digital or women in fintech. So having lived in these two worlds, in traditional investment banking, there were very few women and there's still very few women. We've got some great success stories that have come through, such as Citigroup, which was the group that took over Schroeder's, where you've got Jane Fraser. So that's a really nice case study. Um, But in digital and generally, often we hear that there aren't any senior women. Well, this is plainly not true, as many of us who work in these startup environments or work in digital transformation know. There are plenty of very good women. The problem is, is that every organization needs a spokesperson. And that spokesperson, in the case of a startup, is generally one of the founders. And in the case of a FTSE listed company or a big private company is the CEO. So if you don't have any women founders, and there are very few of them, because we know that a lot of the investment goes towards male founders, and if you don't have any female CEOs, then the perception is that there are no female voices, and therefore there is less female talent, uh, which is just simply not the case. They're not just getting to these big roles. Some really useful insights there, Tara. And I guess you know my, my follow-on question from that is, what what do you feel are the sort of blockers in place for that for 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 women within organisations, whether they're in startups or or, or large organisations, to to become the voice of an organisation? What what are the blockers that are that are taking place? So I'm not going to address startups because we are very much focused on. Um, the large cap companies. So we started with the FTSE 100 and we're working with large global organization, large employers. So that's the area that we're really focused on. But there, I think one thing that is clear, it's about giving women the opportunities at the right time. One thing that is obvious to all women, but not necessarily all leadership teams, is that women's life cycle is different from men. So... I don't like to generalize because I think men and women have, you know, different skills and it's not you don't have a different skill or a different ability or a different characteristic because you're one gender or another. But generally speaking, um, women, they're very often in their early 20s, incredibly responsible, can hold positions of high responsibility. Um, But then obviously in their 30s, they may be involved in having a child, which is quite a predictable event. 
And then later on in life, they may, may be more involved in home issues, whether that's elderly parents or just having a home. And that gives them less space and time to focus on their work environment. So we really believe that organisations must be sensitive to this work-life balance and must be sensitive to the fact that not everyone progresses at exactly the same rate. And the organisations that are doing this well, and our founding members, some of them are doing some of these aspects incredibly well. I mean, the 25 by 25 framework isn't an original framework. It is a framework that companies use address these issues. They look at these issues. They see where women are dropping off, what can be done to make that work-life balance work better, and they retain them. And then they end up pursuing this pathway to Exco and ultimately to CEO. Some really useful insights there, Tara. And I guess my sort of follow-on question within that, you know, we look at the backdrop of the pandemic over the last two years, and we as a global society have been extremely challenged by it, and so has business. And I think, you know, we are still digesting some of the impacts of the pandemic. But do you feel on the topic of, you know, remote working and work-life balance, are there any silver linings specifically for women in the workplace? So I think that working from home has been a huge revelation for some male leaders and not so much so for women. So women are used to juggling life and work. Um, I think that working from home has been quite stressful for a lot of people. Obviously, the pandemic has been very stressful for a great many people. Um, But this has also clarified um, people's working habits and what they expect to get out of the workplace. And I think that a lot of the leadership teams have really been surprised about how successful certain operations can be. For example, in financial services, two of our members had record years last year. And they said that was partly to do with the delivery of the women from the work from home format. So it can be very successful. In certain other areas, obviously, it's more of a challenge. But I think with everything, a crisis always puts these critical aspects back onto the agenda. They put them back onto the board table so people have to address them in a more systematic way. And over the last six months from right understanding of sort of 25 by 25 operating, uh, what have been some of your personal sort of key learnings and reflections thus far? So um, the traditional world works with a slower decision process than the startup world, Mm -hmm. which I think anyone probably could have told me, but sometimes experiencing something when you've left a traditional world for a while and then being re-immersed in it, it, you just have to recalibrate your expectations on how long it takes to get um, things done. That's one aspect. But I think one aspect that has been really positive and really encouraging is how much effort some of these really large organizations have put in to working out these issues. It's one of, I've worked uh, internationally for many years. I was out of the UK for 17 years, reverse commuting into the UK for London listings, but not living in the UK. 
And it's very nice to feel that sense of pride in the governance and the high standards of governance that a lot of these companies take. Um, we were delighted with the response to the survey, which we undertook in 2020. We really had a very good response from the FTSE 100. And obviously, we're delighted with the effort our members have put into this. I, I can definitely resonate with the sort of two worlds piece in terms of, you know, myself having moved from the corporate world a number of years ago into the startup world. Uh, the pace of change is, is very, very different. And there's obviously pros and cons um, to both. It reminds me of a, of a study uh, that I read about a year ago now from the World Economic Forum, which looked at um, estimating when we would, as a global society, achieve true sort of gender equality throughout all aspects of life. Uh, and I was shocked that the, you know, the estimates were looking at roughly a century which to me is, you know, you know, nearly two generations, and it just felt it wasn't fast enough. Um, so it does remind me of that, but also take great pride in, as you mentioned, you can you can see the change happening, you can see the vocalization amongst organisations on this agenda, and you can see the pace picking up quite dramatically. So that does give me give me hope, and being the forever optimist, um, I feel very hopeful the, for the future. I mean, I resonate with that. I think it's very important sometimes to look at the companies that are doing it right rather than constantly bashing people for what they're not getting right. And one of the aspects that we wanted to incorporate at 25 by 25 was that not only was it going to be open to everyone, we may have to start with the larger organisations, but we will make sure that the framework applies to all UK business because, as you know, there is a lot of great female talent in smaller companies that don't always get reflected in the overall statistics if you're just focusing on the FTSE. I, I think that we are making sure that companies who are in a very poor position at the moment, and we do have some companies who, to all intents and purposes, don't look like they've made much progress. And we've said, you would be the best candidates to join 25 by 25 because we're not measuring absolute excellence. You know, not everyone is going to have a woman CEO because that's not our intention. You know, a world populated uniquely by women CEOs isn't going to be any fairer than a world populated by predominantly male CEOs. But if you don't start working on your process, you're never going to improve. And we really want to measure progress. So going from zero to one, for example, on executive committee is sometimes the hardest path and that is where we really want companies to um, respond to. People like to be at the top of the table. They say, well, there's not going to be a table. It's a process. It's a framework. Just join us and adopt the framework. I absolutely love that. You know, lead the way with positive examples and case studies and focus on growth rather than absolutes, which I think you know, is a great, great way to be moving, moving the dial. So you, you were recently interviewed for ICAS's own magazine where you discussed the work of 25 by 25. And specifically in that interview, you discussed how measurement plays an increasingly significant role for 25 by 25, which is currently developing a set of data tools. Are you able to tell us more about those measurement tools and how they will be implemented? Absolutely. So we were clear from the very beginning that if we were going to set something up that was going to be corporate-led, it was going to be funded by the corporates and it had to be funded adequately so that the membership organisation would last at least 10 years. 
because one of the problems that we have in this area is that data isn't measured for any significant length of time. And obviously, if you are a shareholder or a member of the ESG community, if you can't measure the impact, it's very difficult to track progress. So we wanted to make sure that we developed some tools which would A, help companies, and B, help the ESG community track and measure data. We're going to start with a private benchmarking tool. Obviously, as the name indicates, this will be private to the member companies. And the focus of this private benchmarking um, tool is to work on what we call the pathways to CEO. So companies do track their gender balance and there are many targets that are out there. And some of these targets are very useful, but they can't be absolute if you really want to focus on getting people through to CEO. For example, there's going to be a different probability in terms of getting to CEO, depending on your role. If your role is a divisional head, a direct profit center experience, maybe a head of operations in certain companies, you are more likely to have developed the skills and the ability to then go on to be a CEO. If you're, for example, a company secretary, you may be on the company's executive committee reporting directly to a CEO, but your skills and experience are probably not sufficient for you to become a CEO. So rather than the absolute number of women coming through, we're very much focused on where you are on the pathway. And the succession planning that we are developing with companies is over five years so that people can look externally, they can look internally, but mainly they're looking at the gaps. And that's what the private benchmarking tool will focus on. So it will be very simple to begin with. It will focus on representation, i.e. the number of women in specific roles and their seniority, i.e. how they progress from Exco minus two to Exco, which is roughly the five year horizon that we're talking about. Uh, it's wonderful to hear the the robustness of, of the measurement that you're that you're undertaking, and I think you'll be preaching to the choir to a number of our listeners who are who are accountants who obviously is part of our are part of our role and, and, and career. We are we are focusing focus around uh, measurement, so that's fantastic um, to hear. Recently, we heard from the CEO of Aviva, Amanda Blanc. Uh, and she said that it will take roughly 30 years to reach gender parity at senior levels of the financial services industry if nothing is done to improve the fr- frustratingly slow, slow current rate. And the government's Women in Finance Charter was launched in 2016 with over 400 city institutions signed up to it. However, the proportion of senior management among the 400 signatories who were female increased by just one, one percentage point between 2018 and 2020. What do you think could be done both in government and within the finance sector to improve this? So when we started looking at the causes of why there were so few many CEOs, we also looked at all the organisations that have been doing fantastic work in this area. So in terms of women generally on boards, you know, that's been a government-led initiative that started with the Davis Review, and then that followed on with the Hampton Alexander, which is now FTSE Women Leaders. 
And that was very much, you know, government asking companies to select three out of four out of a body or 10 or 12. And that's been a very effective mechanism for getting women on boards. Um, when we looked at um, HMT Women in Finance Charter, which Amanda Blank is leading at the moment, um, the, the initial work obviously was done by Jane Ann Gardier, and we thought that the charter was excellent. It had four very simple, straightforward guidelines that we felt that any financial service company could easily adopt. Um, so obviously, we were very pleased that it got so many signatories, uh, and we felt that it was a very important piece of work. I think that what happens with these government-led initiatives is that they are um, an external demand, i.e. government asks and then companies must comply. So there needs to be a mechanism in place to see whether or not these companies are complying. In the same way that the Davis Review worked very closely with the 30% Club to achieve their aims, we think that 25 by 25 is a corollary to what's being done by government. So we think that the more people that are working on this area, the better, because there is definitely an issue of perhaps market failure when you get such low numbers for such a sustainable length of time. Um, but 25 by 25 is the practical application. And we started it very much as a corporate-led because we felt it had to come from the company. To be a member, it has to be the CEO who's accountable. They are the face. They are the ambassador. It's their name on the line. And it works throughout the year. We have a quite a granular and quite an in-depth relationship with our member companies so we just hope to collaborate with everyone to make sure that this gets done. In terms of the time horizons, I'm a little bit more optimistic than that. What, what we have seen with our work, with our members, and some of them we started with two years ago, you know, we have examples um, of BP, for example, two years ago, they had roughly 20% of their women on their exco. They've now set targets for 50-50 for their top three senior levels. So that's 60 women out of 120. And these are women with very serious senior PL roles who are probably being prepared, if not to be a CEO of BP in time, of another company. So change can happen very quickly if the leadership team is committed to it. But the leadership team has to be committed to it. And we would very much like to see more financial services members in 25 by 25, which is effectively a chance to prove that you're serious about what you say. You're not just putting your name down, you're actually carrying through and delivering on what you're saying is important to you. I completely agree in terms of the gender equality um, agenda. Uh, it needs a multi-stakeholder approach and very much resonate with the work that you're doing in terms of creating that change from within corporates and, 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 and getting corporates to adv advocate for that change and having individuals to advocate for that change. Moving on slightly into the world of startups, now you have a wealth of experience of working with uh, fintech startups. What observations have you made in this sector specifically when it comes to women leading these up-and-coming finance companies and female voices in, the, in general within this sector? So 
I think one of the the key observations that um, might be relevant to this conversation is that within the startup environment, obviously these pathways to CEO change. Within the traditional world, you have a lot of line management progression. You know, people stay in roles for many years and it, it is perceived within the companies that people are experienced because they've been in a role for a very long time. As you know, in the startup environment, it doesn't really work like that. You know, you can have two founders which are excellent and they you realize very quickly that they're not management material. They're just very good at having a very good idea. And you need to put in a professional management team when you're doing the scale up. And I'm sure that this is something you've experienced a lot. But one of the things that struck us was, for example, one of our, of our first members was Lena Nair. Uh, and Unilever was our very first corporate member. And at the time, Lena was the CHRO of Unilever, so head of human resources. And when we'd done our very initial analysis, you know, we were talking about the pathways and we'd made a sort of we'd focused in on people with direct profit center experience and we had excluded HR, which we'd considered a functional role. And Lena said, well, that's nonsense. You know, um, I'm in, in HR and I would like to be in a succession plan, um, a succession planning um, pipeline. And I would like to be a future CEO. And uh, she said, go away and find some other examples. And I thought about it and I thought, A, she's completely right. And B, it was actually very easy to find precedents. And the precedents that we found were very much in these big tech companies where the number one and number two might be two male founders. But very often the number three was a chief people's officer who was very much involved with the scale up. And um, we call this role business development, not business development, business organization. It's mm -hmm. how the business is organized. And as businesses transform into the, a more digital era and they transform from less of a manufacturing and supply chain base to a more customer service centric organizations, which we see happening throughout the FTSE, that actually these skills and these people are really important. So much so that, as you know, Lena Nair is now CEO of Chanel. Mm. So they knew what the what they were looking for and um, and the skills that were required to build out Chanel. So I think that that digital world is always a really good comparison to traditional world as to how fast roles can change. I think another sort of question that that I'm really keen to get your insight on in relation to that is the sort of investment landscape for startups. And you touched on this in your earlier, earlier conversations around, you know, investments being focused towards male, male founders. Uh, what's been your experience in that space? So the real answer to that is the reason, one of the personal reasons why I'm so involved in 25 by 25 is that I actually think that we need more women voices in business. That is, for me, a given. There are two types of female voices or two types of voices. You can have the founder voice and the CEO voice. And um, being a pragmatist, it's always easier, I think, to go for the easier route. So I think it's going to be easier to tackle the CEO route where there is a lot of 
open dialogue and receptive ears and companies already working on it. Mm-hmm. And thanks for your insights there. In terms of International Women's Day, so it only took place a few days ago at the time of us recording this podcast. And the theme uh, for International Women's Day is obviously breaking the bias. And the UN-specific theme for this year was gender equality today for a sustainable tomorrow. And ESG and preserving nature is high on most organizations' agendas now. And we are seeing the stark consequences of our impact on the environment. Now, how does 25 by 25 work in broadening the diversity of CEOs feed into sparking new and innovative solutions to the climate crisis? So obviously ESG is becoming increasingly important, not only to shareholders, but to the wider stakeholders. And I think that's always important to bear in mind. Any company, stakeholders, are its customers, its employees, savers. That's your everyone on the street. It's not just a business issue. It's an issue for everyone. And I think that as the popular and public voice becomes more important, the companies will really need to focus even more so on ESG. Obviously, climate is probably the singular most important component of the ESG um, composite index. But we also feel that it's very important that companies, as a result, don't ignore social and governance. And um, climate has got to be the priority. And so it's very important that companies focus on that. But we also think that these other measures need to be given their equal weight. And we need to see an unbundling of E, S and G. Because if we don't focus in on the social and governance impacts, we will have our own crises in these areas. And I think actually gender balance is a really good indicator of a company's health. And a company's health is normally a good indicator of its performance, financial and otherwise. It's very, very useful insights there, and I completely agree with you. Although you know, the climate the climate conversation is a very, very important conversation indeed. Uh, we mustn't forget the conversation around governance and around people and communities as well, because it, that does lead to better, you know, better, better conversations around innovation and can help help uh, move the dial on this climate agenda as well. So no, thank you for your insights there, Tara. So at ICAS, we have members who range from those who are newly qualified and just starting out their careers to CAs who are CEOs of some of the world's best-known brands. Now, what advice would you give both to some of our new members and to those who are more established on what they can be doing to contribute to an environment that recognises talent regardless of gender? So to the younger members, I think that the advice that I would give is don't be fearful. Um, I'm also, I'm a scientist, I'm data-driven, I'm numbers by background, and I came from an environment which uh, my parents were academics, there wasn't very much money in the family, Um, Wrexham County Council paid towards my school fees, they paid for my maintenance at university. When I came out of university and people were talking Well, actually, when I came out of university, I joined one of the worst job markets in about 10 years. I went to a prestigious university, which would generally make sure that people had jobs when they came out. And 
50 to 60% of my peer group didn't get a job at all. So we, we lived in fear. And obviously, I think that the, for the generation, the younger generation now who are carrying these university loans, this is a huge issue. So people don't really want to gamble with their future. But there is a risk-reward equation. And I know it takes some bravery, but you have to think about what's right for you and not about the conversation that you're going to be having with your parents about why you've chosen to take a startup route, for example. If you're young and you want to try out the startup world, do try it. Because I think now there are better systems in place and there's more funding in place to support you. So I think do try it. Equally, if you are on that path and you find that that risk profile doesn't suit you, don't be intimidated. Don't be frightened to say, it doesn't suit me now, it doesn't suit my lifestyle or at this particular moment in time. And I think people shouldn't be frightened about going back into the traditional world if they've tried out one world and it doesn't suit them. We live and work for a very long time. We're probably going to be living and working for a much longer time. So how you work and being happy while you work is a very important factor. So that should be a really important guiding decision. For the senior women, obviously, you know what I'm going to say, is that if you want to be on the pathway to CEO, say so. Put yourselves on those paths. If you're in an organization that doesn't have the framework in place to support you, think about joining another organization. And obviously, speak to us. Some organizations respond to women within the organization saying, we'd like there to be a pathway to CEO. 25 by 25 can help you do this. Why don't you sign up as a member? Absolutely wonderful insights there, Tara. You know, can completely hear what you're saying for some of our younger members, not to be afraid of being pigeonholed, trying new experiences, focusing on being happy, not 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 worrying about the fact that if you've taken one career path, that the others are the other doors are closed to you. And also for our, some of our senior members here, thinking about the pathways and frameworks and supporting organizations and creating those pathways and frameworks for, for leadership. Tara, thank you so much for the wonderful conversation today. I'm wishing you all the best with all the wonderful work that you and the member organizations and the founding team are doing with 25 by 25 by 25 on this vitally important agenda. And the last thing I'd like to say is that we are about balance. Obviously, we're looking at the women on the pathways for now because there's so few of them. But the framework is actually about establishing balance. So in time, when we get a few more women through, we do hope that it's a framework that helps everyone because our belief is that whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever your background, if you'd like to be a CEO, you should be given the chance to become a CEO. So thank you so much for talking to me today and uh, lovely to meet you. Thanks, Tara.